Hello and welcome to the Breakdown Podcast. It is a sunny day in Sydney today, so we are hiding inside and we're choosing to do a podcast instead. Um, I am here with Marcus Cooley of Tonelli Powerstream. Marcus, how are you doing? Hey, well, thanks, Jamie. Good to be back on again. Yeah, it's definitely sweltering in uh, in Sydney. I think uh, one of the hottest three days on record ever, but, you know, got to get through it. It was uh, almost like this at Oceana's last year. Yeah, I mean, um, I was stupid enough to be out outdoors um, doing some uh, pre-season training for, with my soccer team. Um, but, Marcus, I understand you were off winning races um, off at, near West uh, North Head, was it? Uh, just a West Head road race, yeah, just a local club race that uh, a couple of the, well, most of the guys from Sydney enjoy doing. It's one of the few opportunities you get to to race like a decent sort of road race for more than, it's about 70k today, it's either 70 or 90. Um, they basically close the road and you get 40 or 50 odd guys per grade. So for a club level, Manly Rohingya have absolutely nailed that one in Sydney. Yeah, and um, yeah, taking the win there, not too shabby. Abby, um, you've been on some pretty decent forms in, since Nationals. Um, I've seen you've taken a bunch of wins in those local races. Oh, well, yeah, just local races. Um, as a few guys commented today, oh, i got a lot of form for uh, not much racing. So hopefully we can hold it through to something that actually uh, counts to something a bit later on in the year. Yeah, well, that will take me into one of my questions, but uh, we'll leave that and we'll uh, come back on the other side of the break with the discussion of the, of the Australian racing season. Okay, and we're back. We're talking the Australian Summer of Cycling. Um, I think that's the official title for it these days. And um, yeah, you just mentioned before the break about uh, how you how you had a lot of form at the moment, and um, you're looking to carry that into some you know proper racing. Um, it will. And that remains a question for a number of riders, I think, um, especially the guys who do, you know, world tour, obviously, um, but also the NRS guys, because now there's a massive gap uh, until, you know, Oceania's, and then you've got um, a further gap until there's any NRS racing on the plate. Um, how do you how do you go about? What if, we'll start from your from your end of things personally. How do you go about planning a season around that? Well, yeah, it's a it's a tricky one. I mean, uh, even after the race today, I was chatting chatting to Darcy Ellum Norton, who was on farm form at the Sun Tour. He's obviously with St George Continental Cycling Team this year, and he made the point that even in uh, Asia, there's really not a lot going on in the first half of the year anyway. Um, he said that their year was very stacked towards the end of the year, sort of the same sort of time that the NRS season kicks off. So basically, unless you're heading over to Europe. Um, with the pro teams where you've got all the sort of Belgian spring classics, which is my favorite time of year. Um, there's not a lot going on in Australia. So more or less, um, a lot of guys after the Sun Tour, if um, you've done that in Australia, it's sort of time to have a bit of a break. Uh, I've got um, a few other friends who've done that race who are taking a week or two off the bike now. Uh, the next big race in Australia or anything of note is Oceana's, and that's in about seven weeks' time. So fair bit of time to freshen up and then it's about um another month or so until um the nrs kicks off with the battle on the border yeah so what do you look at it as do you look at it as two separate blocks then um to you, you get good in you know late december and maybe do some some of the crit racing that's around the around the scene then and offers a decent payday and then look to take that form into nationals or 
is it is it a case of you can kind of hold that form a bit um, after after the summer's over? You can't hold your form all year, unfortunately. Um, so yeah, it's sort of build up, have a go for nationals, and then um, for the guys who are, are doing the sun tour, you sort of keep that going uh, for that. But otherwise, it's sort of um, yeah, take a step back, foot off the throttle, cut out the intensity. Um, I've just been doing um, a lot more low intensity, sort of sweet spot type uh, type efforts rather than any anything that intense. Because yeah, there's uh, nothing to be super fit for. Um, it's always like the the time of year as well, especially for a lot of the guys uh, like me who are doing university degrees or some form of study. That this is the time of the year where you got the most free time as well. So I've just tried to to do a fair bit of riding while I while I have the opportunity to. But um, yeah nothing to actually uh be in top form for <laughs> oh well um you get the benefit of getting a new bike at least and that's that's always a good thing um oh it's great motivator the new bike yeah for sure yeah there was a bit of discussion um on around while well, during the entire summer of cycling about um world tour guys and how they can carry their form through to the tour and whether it was a good idea for for names like richie port simon Gerrans, um Caleb Ewan, those guys to be going really good in January because they've got because the World Tour season. I mean, it goes up until October these days, and if you if you're being good in January, you're cutting out a large part of the season where you can't be as good. And you know, you see a guy like Michael Matthews, for instance, doesn't bother to come down to Australia because he's got bigger targets later down the line. Um, where, where's the balance there? Do you think? Uh, well, for the guys going for the Tour de France, I mean, you're looking at through import. Um, they're not probably hitting quite 100% at this time of year. Um, Port might have been getting close, but I don't think Froome would have, would have been there. And um, basically, it's the, the same for the guys in Australia finishing Sun Tour or Nationals. It's take the foot off the pedal, um, take a step back. And, I mean, someone like Richie really doesn't need to be... Um, he doesn't need to be on form for the sort of the opening races in... Um, in Europe that he'll be looking at, which is sort of your, your Paris, Paris Nices, your Torino Adriaticos. Uh, they're not for um, a couple months anyway, so they have time to back it off and then slowly start the traditional build-up uh, that you get through um, those races um, to, to the Dauphiné and then the Tour. Yeah, it's, it's a funny one because sometimes I think that people go into that, um, that February-March races and I think it, um, you can probably call the start of it, um, yeah, probably Paris-Nice is probably the start of those big ones. And then you've got probably Pies Vasco or Romandie, which is the end. For, for the, the season always starts at Omloop, the 25th of February, opening oh, weekend. Talking, I'm talking GC. Uh, for, yeah, for those guys, yeah, 5th of March, Paris-Nice. Um, yeah, and they don't need to be on form there. And as you mentioned before with Michael Matthews, um, He's come to Down Under before. He won a stage with an EO Pro at uh, the Tour Down Under in 2012. But, um, yeah, he's, he's, he normally starts the season at Paranese at the, the beginning of March. And he quite he seems to start it with very good form, though. He won the prologue last year. So, um, yeah, he, of course, is looking at a peak for Milan-San Remo on the 18th of March. So that, that'll be his big target again. Yeah, well, the thing with Matthews is he's such a versatile rider. He could have many different targets, couldn't he? I mean, they were even going into Paris-Nice last year talking about him as a GC contender, and certainly he had a go at it. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure he can really go up those 20-kilometre climbs with the best of people yet, but 
I don't know, you put him in the right sort of race, I think Matthews would go okay on GC. It, it would have to be anything up to about a category two climb. I think he can uh, can haul himself over. He won that stage at the Giro against Cadell a few years back, which was a category two climb, about five k, not super steep. He was looking at Paris Nice. I think uh, everyone else was talking him up for GC more than he was himself. Yeah, that stage of the Giro was a weird one though, because the crash took out you know everyone except like what was it six or seven guys and who ended yeah. up going up to that climb together. So it was a, it was a bit of an odd one, but um, he'll take it. Yeah, nonetheless, a win. A win is definitely a win. Yeah, just on that gap that we've got now um, in in the racing, not so much World Tour. Back this is back to local scene and NRS and stuff. Um, should we should the NRS be looking to move into this space to capitalise on the increased interest um, that uh, that people have in the cycling community at the moment, and you know, on the form that the riders have? I mean, people have form and they're just you know itching to use it, but they've got nothing to race at the moment. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's summer. This is where the best time of year in Australia to be riding. Um, I mean, and they seem to have this uh, a couple of smatterers of racing um, sort of around May with, uh, um, you know, Grafton and, and Battle. Uh, and then there's nothing for a couple of months, um, which used to be the traditional gap for people to head over to Europe. And then you've got an extremely back-heavy half of the season, which is a shame again as well because they've pushed the, the dates even further back this year. So... There's now not really time to, to have an, an off-season after the end of the NRS season because you've got nationals just around the corner. Uh, so, yeah, you're, you're right. They should be throwing in NRS races at the start of the year and maybe give people a time to have a bit of a break in a month or two's time around the middle of the year for those that aren't heading over to Europe when it's cold, not the best weather. That's when probably we should be having our, a break in our racing. Yeah, it makes I mean it makes a hell of a lot of sense when when you say it like that. I think it's a holdover from the old days when it used to be track racing in the in the summer and then uh, all the road racing was on during the winter and uh, and that's not really relevant to the way things go these days. I mean, I th- I think that a lot of a lot of the cycling public is paying attention but don't necessarily have an idea about the NRS. I mean, a lot of people follow just the World Tour racing, but if you offer that thing of okay well Herald Sun Tour has just finished and you've seen a bunch of the local riders who've gone really well there like guys like uh, Ben Hill, Jake Kaufman and Tim Rowe and the Isaway guys um, doing a good job in that tour uh, come and see how they race locally and you know the product is just as good and it's something it's it, it might give you might give you a bridge into that into that scene whereas you know at the moment there's nothing really being encouraged in in that in that sphere of things. Yeah, it's a dead silence until SBS starts plugging uh, their Paris-Roubaix coverage. I mean, another idea is you could even have an NRS uh, race at this time of year and then stick a 20-minute highlights uh, just before uh, the Roubaix coverage starts. Yeah, I mean, all viable options. Um, I think you require some planning for these things to happen, of course. But um, That's one thing we're lacking, isn't it? <laughs> True enough. Um, of course, it's not entirely... Um, blank. I mean, there is an NRS race coming up, the Tour of East Gippsland, which is sort of stuck on its lonesome, unfortunately, for the women. Um, and hopefully I'll be getting down to that. I'm just doing some budgeting and working out how cheap, how cheaply I can do it to make it worthwhile. Uh, but yeah, hoping to get down to that race. Um, it's yeah, a good but, race. I've done that once a few years ago. So yeah, the, the girls are lucky. That- what, do you, what do you think of the of the structure of the races in the in the actual January block? Um, it's an interesting one. Uh, I want to 
I want to um, frame this question, particularly around what happens if nationals move, because will we see people going to Bay Crits um, and that being, you know, like the major kickoff of the season? Because it was quite easy with Bay Crits being in Geelong and then nationals being in Ballarat. You can, you can, even if it, even if the dates were close as they were this year, you could do a few stages of the Bay Crits and then move on to Nationals. If Nationals is in Gold Coast or Bathurst next year, which are the two main ones being mooted, is that going to significantly change the start of the season there? Um, I have uh, heard a, a reasonably solid rumour that it is, in fact, staying at Ballarat for the next couple of years, but um, we'll see when that is announced. Uh, I don't really think you can move the Nationals, unfortunately. Uh, it's very close to the two done under already. Uh, so in, unless you sort of uh, push all the other January Aussie summer of cycling races back a week, that's um, probably the only way you're going to uh, nationals. I mean, otherwise you don't have the marquee names that you want to win the uh, Australian nationals jersey um, so they can uh, parade it around Europe for the season. Yeah, that is it is a viable point. Um and that, yeah, uh, there was there was one point I noticed when I was travelling around to all the races. They've all got a very distinctive, different style to them. I mean, there's a different feel to any any all of the events that you go to, and it doesn't feel like there's a hell of a lot of co- cohesion between the events. I mean, obviously they're competing in some senses, but I would like to see a bit more cohesion between the events and just to grow the pot for everyone. I mean, it's it's all well and good for you know locals to turn up to go to. Um, the Bay Crits, and then they get a. They don't even really do any advertising for the Cadells during that period. I was I was wondering that when I was going around, going, oh well, one they advertise the race that's coming up, the bigger race that's coming up later in the later in the piece, because you know you you'd attract some locals down to the Bay Crits, but they wouldn't necessarily know that there's any um, bigger racing going on later. Yeah, I mean, um, you see a little bit of TV advertising, but I suppose. Um... They've got different channels covering uh, the different races, so uh, they're not going to want to be uh, paying to promote um, a race that is uh, being shown on another network. Uh, but yeah, you're right. I mean, if everyone works together, you you grow the pot, make it make it uh, bigger and, and better for everyone. Yeah, well, that's where you know Cycling Australia has to step in and, and say, okay, well, we do need to have some sort of cohesive um, picture being placed before the public, and it's you know, in, if you do take on the the broadcast rights of this race, that's part of the deal that comes with it. I mean, it's not just a um, an exclusive product for you to fritter away. It's you know part of a bigger a bigger whole, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, moving moving on to some riders now. Um, who who do we think performed really well? Uh, I I want to highlight a few names here. Just not necessarily because they were, you know, absolutely the top performers of the summer, but because they were very interesting riders and at interesting points of their career. Number one on that list is probably Nathan Haas. We had a bit of discussion about him the other day off mic, uh, Marcus, and uh, it is a critical season for him. He's turning 28 this year, which is normally make or break time for a rider in Europe. I mean, does he have the goods to, to go and take that next step? He's definitely a rider that just sort of year on year, you're, you're seeing progression with him. Um, and it's just steady, steady that he's been getting better. So, yeah, he's at that sort of critical age where he's he's reaching a, as good as he's going to get almost. Um, I don't have him down as someone who's going to win 
but yeah, I mean, he, I, I think he can win a few World Tour races for sure over the next season or two. He's a very impressive rider. The way he was riding in Cadell's at the end was, I mean, suicidal, but strong to be able to follow all those moves. So if you're going to put out the power in the right places, he will definitely be able to, to pull some results somewhere along the line. Yeah, um, uh, I think the problem for Haas is partly the incredible strength of the type of rider that he that he has to go against to beat. I mean, in almost every type of race that he will win, that is hilly enough for him to win, and is also, you know, not exceptionally hilly enough where the climbers just dominate. Um, you're looking at guys like Peter Sagan, Greg Van Avermaet, Simon Gerrans, Michael Matthews. Um, there's a million million names there who are all incredibly talented, but that top end is really good and. I think you have to. It, it's it's hard to say, but he almost has to think about a way to go around those guys to win. One it's the same guys. problem for every puncher type rider that isn't Peter Sagan or um, or Greg Van Avermaet, really. Yeah, well, I mean that's fair enough. I mean when they come into a sprint finish, it's generally one of the, those two that's going to win, isn't it? Oh, every every time they're they're sort of on another level. I'd I'd probably put Matthews as just just below those two and then yeah it's um sort of everyone else for that, that type of race this, well on another note though it's the same for um every type of rider you've got plenty of uh, amazing climbers that just can't beat chris Froome up a up a big hill um and you've got plenty of uh sprinters who aren't quite there but just can't beat marcel kittle in a in a drag race yeah, i will say in those cases it's a bit different because you can't you can't um preempt a sprint and just jump out with 1k to go and try and win it that way and with climbers maybe you can attack a bit earlier but if you if you're going before the team sky trains being used up then they're just going to um reel reel you back in and then you're fighting against chris Froome with a disadvantage so i would say in in those circumstances the race is a bit the racing's a bit more formulaic and to plan, whereas when you're in in those more classic situations, it tends to be more about those tactics, more about making the move at the right time, which I think will suit Haas a bit better, and maybe he can play the tactics right in one of those races and get a good result. Anyway, um, on to Simon Gerrans now, a very similar rider to Nathan Haas at all, um, but has been more successful, um, obviously, obviously over a longer career. Is he getting towards the end of that career, though? I mean, we saw him take a number of second positions during the during Nationals, Cadell Evans Road Race, but he didn't look quite to have the same verve that he that we'd normally expect from Garrens. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, he's he's thirty seven in in May this year, so of course he's he's heading all towards the the end of his career. He's had a fantastic career so far. I think it's thirty one professional wins and two monuments. Um, a few other big uh, one-day races, such as uh, GP Montreal, um, or both the Canadian World Tour races. But um, yeah, I, I've, I've he's heard it. I've heard him describe himself as moving more into a mentor role with the team, uh, with a, a smattering of sort of team leadership roles along the way as well. Uh, with Matthews out now, he probably will have a few more opportunities again. But yes. Um, He's probably only got another year, year or two to stay. Yeah, did that make that decision? Because obviously there was some some determination made at the end of, um, well, rather the middle of la- of last season between Matthews and Gerrans. Um, 
because the two of them couldn't work together in the team and it was becoming a major issue. And the decision was made to go with Gerens in the end. Um, but would you know, d- does it make sense in that situation, given that he's... From what I understand, um, I think Matthews was the one that was like, see you later to, to Orica. Um, he knew that uh, there would be a bit of a contest between the two and he's probably got a quite an attractive offer elsewhere. So sort of almost left Orica stuck with Simon, but they're definitely heading down another path anyway with their GC aspirations. So um, I'm not not sure how uh, fussed they were in the end. It's uh, probably a solid million and a bit euro they've got to, to spend on um, maintaining the, the current GC stock that they have. Well, that's true. Maybe it was something that allowed them to get Roman Kreutziger in later and spend a bit more extra money on getting a, a climber of his calibre in. Anyway, um, Richie Port obviously has much bigger goals down the line and Tour de France this year. Can he Can he do it this year? Oof, I'm going to say he can just because I don't want to see another three-week Team Sky parade around, uh, around France. Uh, I think it's going to be... Um, Port and Bardet are going to be the only ones sort of giving it to, to Froome in July. I think just about every other GC rider is uh, sort of taken the, the Giro option as a, sort of a put put a result in the bank and then come to the tour because uh, with the case of Quintana, I think they've basically decided that they're going to have to wait until Froome gets a bit older and loses it a bit. Yeah, well, it's fair enough. Um, yeah, I will say last season, I mean, Port was arguably the best climber in the Tour de France. It was only a few situations of, of bad luck, which really cost him time. And the rest of the rest of the stages, you could make the case that uh, he was just as strong as Froome on those climbs. And yeah, going into that, going in, I think that gave him a lot of confidence as well. Because after that second stage puncture, where he lost, what was it, two minutes? Um, he was... Something like that. Yeah, he was making he was making comments like, "Oh, well, we'll see what we have to do for the rest of the race." Um, I don't know, maybe maybe change to stages. Who knows? But in reality, he was two minutes down, and you can still get on the podium with two minutes um, disadvantage. And I think he picked himself up after that, and he really showed that he's got it mentally to continue in a three week Grand Tour, which we hadn't seen in the past. I mean, his best performance was his first Grand Tour, where he was where he got in that um, ridiculous break, which got him up the road and he finished in the top 10 there. So it has, it was, it was a breakthrough in that respect that he could, that he showed that he could, could handle the three week um, grand tour. Yeah. He's what a minute and 13 seconds off first second place. And he lost probably close to double that with a puncher. So I made through four minutes clear of Bardet last year, pretty, pretty clear that he is, but yes, you're right. Port was probably the the next best uh, on on the hills, and uh, I'd like to see the way he was riding in uh, in Adelaide. Although it's a completely different style of style of fuel, I'd like to think he can uh, take it to him a bit more this year. Yeah, well, the punch that he displayed on those climbs was quite amazing, especially on Wollonga, where he threw in one sort of small attack and then looked around, realised all the other guys were stuffed, and just went, "Oh yeah, okay, I'll just ride off." And he made them look like they were standing still when he did that and then held the gap all the way through to the line. So hopefully hopefully we see more dramatics like that in the Tour de France and uh, and we'll get we'll get probably a better indication of, 
how he's going uh, through those early season European races there. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he did because he obviously had that one great season where he won, what was it, Paris-Nice, uh, Catalonia, and then was it Romandy he won as well there? It was one of the other ones. Anyway, I'll, I will check that just to but yeah. Yeah, I would actually, um, I'd love to see him uh, do the Arden races as well. I mean, if you've got a punch like that that uh, he showed on those hills, the two are down under, I, I mean, Liege and, and Amstel uh, come calling, but um, I think he normally does Liege, but just doesn't hit it with any sort of... Yeah, it's an odd one, because he's never been great at one-day races, apart from like the Nationals, really, where he's where he's been pretty good in the past, obviously. He just doesn't have the sprint to to beat a Garens um, in that sort of situation. Well, he's but, got yeah. three Liège starts and only one finish. And, of course, he was good in the Olympics race last year before crashing out. So, you know, he, he's got that potential to do the one-day races. It's just that, you know, like you suggest, they probably haven't been targets for him in the past. The direction he'll head to uh, in a couple of years when he's probably a bit too old for GC at Grand Tours. Doing a Sammy Sanchez or... Some, or something along the Valverde lines. type as well. Yeah, never know. Well, Valverde, I think, still thinks he can do really well in the Grand Tours, and he still can. I mean, he did three of them last year and did pretty well in the first two and was doing really well in the Vuelta until he finally finally realised that he's too old to be doing three Grand Tours in one year. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. yeah, he's incredible, that guy. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, I just want to do a quick uh, talk about the Neo Pros as well. Um, I think they all had really seasons. Obviously, Miles Scottson won the Nationals, so you can pretty much say that he's he's already taken enough results for him to look back on the season at the end of the year and say he's going pretty well. Obviously, he'll have further targets later in the year. He's talked a lot about being part of that Team Tron trial squad at the BMC and contributing there, and he showed that he's got plenty of... Um, plenty of diesel in him to work as a domestique. He was on the front of the peloton a lot of times at the two down under um, doing work for his team. And it looks like he's, he's got, he's got the motor and the versatility to be useful at world tour level. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, strong time trialist. I mean, if you become third at uh, under 23, well, it's time trial, then you, you know, you've got an engine. So um, I think BMC will make pretty good use of him this year, uh, riding the front at a lot of their races and, It'll be interesting to see if he can develop into sort of a classic style rider in the future. Uh, but yeah, you're right about him. He's he's already achieved more than they could have uh, asked or expected from him uh, in his first race of the year. So, I mean, if he didn't do another race day, you could almost call his season a success already. Yeah, hopefully he doesn't rest on his laurels in that case. Um, ben O'Connor... Uh... Nah, yeah. Ben O'Connor, uh, strong, strong ride for Dimension Data. He he was in the break a few times. He did a bit of work on the front of the peloton, and I think we can. I think we he showed that he's got plenty of strength, um, especially on those sort of shorter shorter climbs. Um, and that's pro- presumably why the team signed him up because they saw what he did at um, Savoie last year, and we're very impressed with it. Uh, so. The engine, the engine that guy has is incredible. Uh, he's can produce a phenomenal amount of power just continuously uh, for long periods of time. Um, I mean, I've, I've heard him summarise as uh, the world's uh, stupidest uh, professional cyclist for some of the way that he rides, but as soon as he... Uh, he hasn't been riding racing for that long. I think it's only about three years, so as soon as he gets his tactics sorted out, I, 
are tipping to win a few days. Yeah, it will be interesting to see how him and Chris Hamilton go, who's the next guy, um, because they're both quite young um, young Neo pros, if that's a correct term to use, because they haven't necessarily had a massive amount of experience racing. Chris Hamilton obviously did a lot of mountain biking before going over to Isaway Sports, well, the then Avanti team um, in the NRS, and he didn't do a huge amount of racing for them either because he got hit by a car last year and that wiped out most of the second half of his season. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they adapt to that World Tour style of racing. I mean, obviously O'Connor showed that he has has uh, has the potential to be very useful in certain situations so far but the tdu is a bit of a different ball game anyway um <laughs> on to chris hamilton i was wandering off in a, a tangent there so yeah well he's been with he's been with avanti quite a while he was first registered with him in 2014 but yeah they're both still under 23 age category riders um and uh i I think Hamilton will have a bright future, but maybe not this year. Uh, somewhere, ideal suggests they've definitely got faith in him, but I don't. I think he's going to be a, a longer-term uh, development prospect for them. I mean, he's still only 21, so I think maybe in his third year of the World Tour, 2019, is when we're probably going to start seeing seeing him. Results sort of more like uh, how Damien Housen uh, has developed. Uh, he's been in the World Tour four years or so now, and he was definitely pretty quiet in the first couple of years. Uh, and then suddenly now, uh, even through all, throughout last year, sort of uh, hit his stride. And uh, I think that's a similar sort of path that uh, Chris Hamilton's going to take. Yeah. Um, moving on now, I mean, D- Damien Housen was actually part of this next one. Um, is this crop of youngsters, you know, some of the best we've ever seen? Because you go and look at Caleb Ewan, who's still only a youngster himself. Damien Housen's only 24, though he looks like he's about 40. And we saw the uh, quarter-month the team, um, Lucas Hamilton, Jai Hindley, and who's the one I'm forgetting, Michael Storer, um, were all superb throughout the season. Is And, you know, Miles Scottson, Callum Scottson, I've got there's plenty of other names there that I'm no doubt forgetting as well, but th- that is some that is a special amount of talent that we've got coming through the ranks at the moment. Is this you know one of the best generations of Australian talent? Uh, yeah, of, of course it is. I mean, I don't actually think there's a lot of competition to say that it's anything but the the best generation. Even 20 years ago, there were next to no Australians racing uh, in the professional scene in Europe. Um, and I mean, now I think there's about twenty twenty seven Iron World Tour tour riders. So that number is only going to increase the way things are going. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's so much talent floating around. You've you've got to wonder sort of where they're going to all end up because there's so many riders that that do it at that that level. I mean, even just looking at riders sort of like a uh, Cam Bailey who haven't been able to break out of the the Australian sort of incentive to get to two all that they probably deserve to be racing at. It is one of those situations, isn't it, where there's you know so many so much talent, and you just got to kind of fit it into those fit it into the World Tour teams who obviously have their own hiring um, perspectives and and probably think, oh well, there's probably two or three guys coming out of Australia each year, and you, you scoop up you know those two or three guys but in reality there's like 
10 to 15 more behind them who could all, who could all jump in and, and do that job as well. And that makes it harder for, for those guys who missed the boat initially, I think. Um, as you mentioned, those Cam Bailey's, um, guys like I don't know, Neil Van Der Ploeg, uh, Joe Cooper, even, um, who missed that boat initially. And then they have to create the, that same interest around them as mature age riders when there's still that. Or even uh, Sean Lake's another one as well. Mm, yeah. Just uh, come to the sport a bit later. Um, and it, it's hard to, to break into those top ranks. Um, I'll vary how uh, the prospects at uh, Mitchelton Scott go in uh, the next couple of years. I mean, because you, you do see an uh, interesting sort of phenomenon with the, the riders from the WTA over the last few years, whereas if they don't get a contract with Orica, then uh, most of the other teams don't want them because they sort of almost look at it as, uh, well, if Orica don't want them, then why would we? But with the amount of talent coming through that team at the moment, Orica's not going to have room for all of them. So there probably will be other teams sort of snapping at their heels. Yeah, there's the other few riders I've got, Rob, Rob Power and Jack Haig, who could arguably be the best of that generation in the in the young young bracket. Um, but yeah, they're GC-type riders, and you know, Hinley, Hamilton are going to be GC-type riders, and Storer could be GC-type, he could be classics, he could be many things, Michael Storer, because he's just got that amazing... Storer could be anything. He's um, He's got one of the most phenomenal engines to come out of Australia we've seen for a long time, and it will be uh, genuinely interesting to see what type of rider he does develop into. Yeah, there's been a fair bit of comment about his um, his body shape as well. Um, a lot of people look at him and go, "Really, is it that guy a cyclist?" Because he, you know, he uh, the the word that's been thrown around is puppy fat. Um, I'm not sure how fair that is to him. I think he's I think his shape has progressed a long way in the last season, um, for instance, but. Uh, a lot of people still have that kind of um, reaction to him immediately on immediately seeing him. So, you know, he's still he's still only nineteen, I think. So he's got he's got plenty of development left in him. Well, if you can ride this well, uh, carrying around some uh, puppy fat, as you uh, call it, then it's um, a daunting not- thought to see how well uh, he'll go when he's not carrying it. Yeah, well- <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 been thrown around a bit. Yes. Okay, good, good. I'm glad it's not just me making up things. Um, yeah, well, I think that's pretty much the discussion um, over now. I mean, unless there's anything you particularly wanted to bring up about the this the season there. Oh yeah, I think uh, sort of our thought we're going to chat about. We sort of uh, sort of covered all covered all bases. Now we just have to just a couple of weeks until uh, opening season at Omloop, uh, which is. Uh, the start of the favourite part of my year as a cycling spectator. Yeah, well, certainly the classics is a it's a great time of year to be a cycling fan, isn't it? I mean, some of the best racing on offer, and yeah, oh, the best, the best. There's nothing like watching a a Belgian uh, classic uh, on on the TV. It's a uh, non-stop action from start to finish. Well, you get no disagreement for me, but there's still, you know, Tour de France fans around who won't won't want to hear anything bad said about the Tour de France. So, anyway, um, well, thanks for joining. Oh, us. Oh, we won't we won't say anything bad then. No worries. <laughs> Good to yeah. chat again. Yep, certainly. We'll get you back on the pod sometime soon. Um, maybe maybe pre Oceania. See see how we go going into that. 
Um, there was going to be a women's edition of this. We, it was tentatively planned with Lucy Kennedy, obviously the breakout star of the women's peloton in the season, and Sarah Connolly, the uh, women's cycling journalist who is essentially the god of women's cycling in in the coverage, in, commenta- in commentary and covering the sport and has been for a number of years. But unfortunately, we couldn't get that all together with, you know, obviously with times in the UK and getting things organised. Uh, so unfortunately, we won't be able to bring that to you, but we shall continue the coverage of the women's scene and I shall hopefully have something before the Tour of East Gippsland and post the Tour of East Gippsland just to get you excited. So keep your eyes out for that. Uh, you can follow the podcast on Facebook and Twitter. Just type in Breakdown Podcast. You'll find us easily enough and stay up to date on what is happening in the Australian cycling scene. Marcus, thanks for joining us. Cheers. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Cheers. And hope you enjoyed listening. Okay, bye. Bye.